0: When I was uh, fifteen years old, uh, my buddy invited me to go with he and his family to help his brother move from uh, Savannah, Georgia, to Birmingham, Alabama. And part of it was the actual move, and then the other part was a little bit of a vacation. So once we got the move all completed, uh, his dad took us to a horse racing track. In Birmingham Alabama now as a PK a preacher's kid uh, gambling was not looked upon very highly at all in our household Uh, there was no lottery ticket there was no raffle ticket there was no ever doing anything for money and so as I walked up to the Birmingham race course I felt like this weight of guilt And almost like my my parents were were looking at me, and all of a sudden I heard this voice from my mom in my head that went, Boy, don't you go in there, you'll go to hell. And I I got inside, and I was just kind of overwhelmed by everything. But then uh, my buddy's dad came up, and he gave each of us two $20 bills and said that we could spend $2 on each of the 10 races. So I figured to myself, if he's an adult, it must be the wise thing to do, you know. I didn't want to disrespect him. So we went ahead and uh, got ready for the first race. And I kind of made a pact with God at that point and said, Well, God, you know, uh, if I win anything, I'll tithe on my winnings, you know. So I figured that, you know, kind of made it okay. Now, truth be told, I don't think we were allowed at all to place any wager whatsoever for our age, and, and the reason I know this is because when we tried to go up to the little window, uh, his dad stopped us and said, here, give me the $2, and I'll take care of it for you, and so he did, and he said, if you win anything, I'll give it back to you. Now, in horse racing, uh, there are a few different ways you can bet. Uh, the first way you can bet is you bet to win, and that means that the horse comes in first place. Uh, second way that you can choose to bet is to place, which basically means that the horse would come in first or in second place. And then the last way is to show uh, in which they come in first, second, or third. And so mainly that's how we bet the whole time. But we got about halfway through, and they started talking about one particular race. Now we will do the trifecta. I was like, what the heck is that? What's trifecta? <laughs> And all of a sudden, they started showing, you know, how much money you could win if you put money down. And I'm like, dude, this is the way to go. Like, this is the way you're going to win big. So basically, a trifecta is you have to pick all three of the horses, one, two, three, in the correct order. And if you do that, then you win big. And uh, so I was like, we're going to do this. So I, we do this. And I placed the trifecta bet, and guess what happened? I lost. I didn't even get one of my three horses in any of the top three places. I mean, it was just bad news, and so I decided in that moment I would never bet on horse racing with my own money again because we didn't win anything the entire time, and I haven't. But this concept of trifecta had continued to kind of, you know, ruminate in my head. And I believe that there is a trifecta that many people are going after both inside and outside the church all the time. Whether you're single or married or you're living together, people often are tempted to go after this trifecta. For most of my college years, I thought, The best way to have a fulfilling life is to win this trifecta. And the trifecta is money, sex, and power. Our culture tells us that if you want to be happy, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to have a fulfilled life, then you will have a lot of all three of these things. If you want to have the right amount of money... Then get all the money that you can, and if you do, then you'll be happy. That if you have all the right sexual encounters that you can imagine, you will be happy. That if you have just the right amount of power and control, you will be happy. And it's very tempting for both non-Christians and Christians alike to try and go for this trifecta. Because the payoff seems so big. Because the culture tells us that if you win in these three areas, you will have satisfaction and bliss within your life. So over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about all three of these. And talk about, though, how we can overcome the lure and the temptation that these three provide in our life so that we don't get saturated with them. Now, this morning, I want to talk about money. If you're here for the very first time, you're thinking to yourself right now, great. I finally choose to come to church. And the thing that preacher boy up there is talking about is money, right? Well, we are going to talk about money, And the reason we're going to talk about money is because Jesus talked about money more than any other subject except the kingdom of God. But think about this. Next week, we get to talk about sex. You know what I mean? So if this week is a bomb and you're like, this is horrible, next week is bound to be so much better, right? All right. Now, when it comes to money, I want to give you two images uh, when it comes to money. The first image that I want us to look at is a closed fist, okay? A closed fist. Now, in each of your uh, programs or when you walked in today, you should have received an envelope that looks like this. If you didn't get an envelope, you'll really need this. So just raise your hand. We'll get an envelope to you. There's people here, so they'll get that to you. And if you have your envelope already... What I'd like you to do is read the front, and it says, Do not open until instructed. Some of you have been tempted to open it before, right? So, if you are that person, I am instructing you now, open it, okay? So go ahead, open up your envelope. Okay, what did you get? You got money, right? I mean, I figured if we were going to talk about money, you should get some money, okay? So this is your money. Now, there was one, uh, one envelope that had a $100 bill. Oh, I got that one. Sorry. Sorry about that, okay? Actually, no. But this is what I would like you to do is uh, I'd like you to take your $1, put it in your hand, and uh, I would like you to hold it with a tight fist in front of you, just like that. Okay? So hold it like that in front. You won't have to do this forever. Um, and would you, this next week, your coworkers, neighbors, friends, whoever, if church comes up, just say, I go to a church where they actually give you money. Because if you do this next week, we will be full to the house. I can tell. Okay. So just go ahead. Do that. All right. So this is the image with your $1 bill. And I want you to hold it tightly in front of you. And folks, for many of us, when it comes to our money, this is what we look like. We hold our money tightly and we don't want to give it away. We want to keep it for ourselves. In fact, for the first 23 years of my life, this was the image when it came to money. This was my money. I worked to get this money. And I held my money tightly. It was closed-fisted. It was my money. And I never gave my money away. And I always thought that people who gave money away to friends or to family or to the church were dumb Like, why would you ever give this away? I mean, the smart thing to do was to hold it tightly for yourself. Now, you can go ahead. You can let the the dollar go and put it under your chair or hold on. We had somebody in the first celebration. I said, put it under their chair. They're like, I'm not putting it under my chair. So I don't know if people behind you are very trustworthy, but just keep it close. But you don't have to do that. Now. Uh, The second image, when it comes to money, so the first image is what? A fist, closed fist, and the second image is an open hand, okay? So these are our two images when it comes to money, a closed fist and an open hand. In fact, if you would, what I'd like you to do right now is to take one of your hands and put it out in front of you like a closed fist. And then I'd just like you to open it up. Open hand. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. Close hand. Or open, close fist, open hand. Okay. You can put everything down now. Now, like I said, the image for the first 23 years of my life, it looked like this because I wanted to hold so tightly to every last dollar I had. But when I was 23, for the first time in my life, I had never kind of connected this before, but that you could actually not hold tightly like this, but you could have contentment with how much money you had, and you could actually have an open hand to it. When it comes to money, contentment becomes one of the greatest battles we face. In fact, let's say that word out loud together on three, contentment, okay? One, two, three. Contentment. Now, you all said it nicely and peacefully, and everything sounded real good right then. But I have a feeling that for some of you, when it comes to money, if it's not your money, you're like, contentment. But when it comes to your money, you're like, contentment. Because we have a harder time with that. Well, this morning, I want to talk about contentment when it comes to money. And here's our working definition. Contentment says, I don't need more to be happy. I don't need more to be happy. And the image of contentment, folks, is not this, but the image of contentment really is an open hand. Because I really do believe that the phrase, kind of our big idea this morning, is really true. And it's this, that God fills open hands. When we open our hands, God fills open hands. So when it comes to money, how can I learn to be content with the money that I have? Or maybe better yet stated, how can I become content with the money that God has actually given to me to manage? Now, I would love to say that I have perfected this concept of contentment, but I haven't. Several years ago... uh, A buddy of mine who uh, attends here at the JAR uh, came up to me and he challenged me. And he said, you run, right? I'm like, yeah. He said, I bet you can't do a triathlon. I was like, bring it on, you know. And so we started training for a triathlon. Now, this wasn't the triathlon that you see in Hawaii where, you know, they uh, swim two and a half miles and they bike 113 miles. And then they actually, uh, you know, run a marathon. But this was a sprint marathon, and I finally learned why they called it a sprint marathon. It was because you sprinted as hard as you could or before you died, you know what I mean? Like you went as fast as you could. Like when we got to the swimming thing, I'm a horrible swimmer. I had to take a class to know how to swim, and they let the men go first, and then they let the women go after that. And we're swimming, me and my buddy, because we knew we might drown. Like it might be the end of the sprint. And all of a sudden, these real good women swimmers, they like start swimming over top of us. They're like, get out of the way. We're like elbowing women, you know what I mean? And just trying to do whatever you can to survive. Well, in the midst of the whole training process, uh, when it came to the bike section of it, we went to the Cardinal Greenway. Now, my buddy is big into triathlons. And so what he did was he had a bike that looked like this. A road bike, and that thing would just fly, and I'm like trying to pedal as hard as I could because my bike looked more like this. (laughs) I mean, I was barely making it, you know what I mean? And uh, it wasn't quite that bad, but it was very, very slow, and he would take off, and he would leave me, like he would be a half mile ahead of me, and I'm going as hard as I can, and I just can't keep up. And finally, he told me, well, there's a big difference between a road bike and the bike that you have. I'm like, dude, could you have told me that at the beginning, you know? And so we went through all this training, and so finally I was like, I'm going to get me a road bike. And so I went down to Kirk's bike shop, and I bought a bike, and it cost several hundred dollars. In fact, if you took all of my bikes that I'd ever had in my life up until that point, it did not equal the amount of money that I paid for this bike. But after I got that bike, man, I could stay up with him. And when it came to the race, he just beat me by just a little bit. And, man, I was so excited. You know how many times I've used that bike since then? Zero. Zilch. Nada. None. It sits on the wall of our garage. And I walk by it every once in a while. I'm like, man, that is a nice bike, you know? Like, that is a really nice bike. And it takes up room, but it was one of the worst kind of use of money that I've ever had in my life. And it all came down to the point, folks, that I wasn't content with what I had. I thought I just needed something more. Have any of you ever used money in an unwise way? confession today, man. I mean, (laughs) have you ever purchased an item? Because the thing that you had at the moment you weren't content with. So you just went out and you purchased that. Have you ever been walking around your house before and you are in your apartment or in your college dorm room and you're walking around and all of a sudden you're like, I need something larger. Like, I really need something much larger. Or have you ever been driving in your car before, and all of a sudden you had this thought, I need a newer car. Like, I need a newer car. Or you're watching football on television. Then you go to your friend's house, and they have this gigantic TV, and you're like, I need that. You know? Or maybe it's a nicer computer, or newer clothes, or the latest smartphone. You know, Apple's always starting something new. Isn't it called success now? Success Plus. That's what it's like. You're not successful if you don't have that. You know, we've had phones for hundreds of years. But if you didn't have that, you know, you're not successful. Or maybe for some of you, you look at your checking account or your savings account or your 401k. And you go, if I just had more, that would be enough. Can anyone relate to this this morning? A little bit? Well, the good news is is that we are not the first people ever to struggle with contentment when it comes to things of money and stuff. The people in Jesus' day did as well. And there's a, a parable, a story that Jesus tells to a crowd one day about this topic. It's in Luke chapter 12, Luke uh, is in the second half of the Bible, in the New Testament, and Luke was a physician, and I really like doctors myself. Um, if you're new, my wife's a doctor, and so, you know, I like them a lot. And uh, so, Luke tells this story. Jesus tells the story, and then Luke writes it later on. And this is the story. It's, in, it's starting in Luke 12, verse 16. It says this, And Jesus told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, in the first century, if you were rich, if you had an abundant harvest, everyone believed that it was God who was actually blessing you. That most of the culture was agrarian. They were all farmers. And so, if if you were doing really well, it was because you were on God's good side, and here is a guy who is extremely blessed by God. And so, you would think that since he has so much, that he would be content. That maybe he wouldn't have a a tight fist, but he would have an open hand. By the way, just uh, just to let you know, are, are all of you, do all of you live in the United States? Is there anyone here that doesn't? So we all live in the United States. If you just simply live in the United States, you're considered very wealthy. In fact, did you realize that half of the world lives on $2 a day or less? So if you make more than $2 in a day, you're considered rich by half of the world. Just a little insight there for you, okay? Verse 17. And he, that is this man, this, this very, very rich man, thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So here is a guy who already is like wealthy. Now he has even more abundance. He's like, what am I going to do with my crops? And the listeners, you and I and the people of that day are wondering, is he going to be a closed-fisted person or is he going to be an open handed person. What's it going to be close fisted or open handed? Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. Great idea, right? Tear down the barns that you have because you have so much more and you need to build bigger barns. Not only is this guy wealthy, but he's very, very smart. Now, let me be clear here. There is nothing wrong with you wanting to make more money. There is nothing wrong for you wanting to improve yourselves in different areas of your life. God desires for us to grow in our finances. Now, if this were the end of the story, then, we would just think, this guy is like a really smart businessman. And many of us would be envious. We'd be like, dude, he's got such big barns. I don't have big barns. What's up with that? But... We'd be over it. Verse 19. And I'll say to myself, this rich man, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So he's under the assumption that all the extra that he has is for himself. Hey, since I have so much stuff, it must be. The fact that I'm going to have many more years of life left. So I'm just going to hold on tightly with a closed hand. I mean, why would God go through all of the extent of giving me more if He didn't expect me to live longer? Isn't that the way it works? Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool. You fool. Not for being rich. Because God made him rich, not for having more, because God actually gave him more. Here, Jesus kind of sucks the breath out of the audience because they think this guy is brilliant and blessed because God gave him all this stuff. Verse 20, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. In other words, you are going to run out of time before you run out of money. Did you realize that for most Americans, that's the way it works? You run out of time before you run out of money. Then, and then here's the question, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This smart, close fisted kind of guy who just kept the extra for himself, who will get what he prepared for himself? Answer, somebody else. Why? Why did somebody else get that? Not because you were open-handed and you gave it to someone. Why? He's dead. Not because he had an open hand, but because he didn't have control anymore. And you and I are going to run out of time, folks, before we run out of money. And Jesus says the person who lives the way of this man, what did he call him? A fool. Now, not every parable does Jesus give us the moral to the story, but in this one he does. And now he pulls out of the parable and he addresses the audience directly and he says this. This Is how it will be. Now, the question that you want to ask yourself when you have that phrase this is what does this mean? This is in the verse. What does it mean? This means total loss, total and complete loss. This is how it will be. For those who store up things for themselves, and all of us do that to some extent, but are not rich toward God. Here, Jesus says that it is a total loss for people who store up things for themselves because they're going to run out of time before they run out of money. And they're not rich toward God. Now, if you're like me, you might be asking the question what does it mean then to be rich toward God? I mean, I don't know about you, but I really want to not be a fool. When it comes to this area, I don't want to be a fool with my money today or tomorrow or next week, and definitely not at the end of my life. So, how can I become a person who's characterized as rich toward God? Well, in Luke chapter 12, and I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter this week, but if you skip down a few verses, in verse 33, He answers the question, how do you become rich toward God? This is what he says. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, he's not saying that you have to give everything. He's not saying that you give it all away and you wind up on the street. He just says this. Quit being so close fisted and to be open-handed when it comes to the needs of others. That that... Is a sign of generosity when you have open hands. Sell your possessions to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For, here's the big conclusion. Let's all read the conclusion together. Verse 34. Let's read it out loud. For where your treasure is... There, your heart will be also. This is a parable, folks, that is warning us against getting consumed by stuff, of giving into discontentment, of being a closed-fisted person, of giving into the myth of more. Any of you know what the myth of more is? Have you ever heard this before, the myth of more? This is the myth of more. If I just had a little more money, everything would be okay. A little more house, a little more of a car, a little more of pleasure, a little more of whatever. If I just had a little more, then I would be satisfied. My soul would be, everything in life would be hunky-dory. If I just had a little more. But Jesus said that this is not the answer. He says, don't buy into the myth or you will become. If you buy into the myth of more, eventually what happens is, folks, you become close fisted Instead, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And take the idea of being an open-handed person and give away to others. Rather than staying tight-fisted. You see, there's kind of this theory in our culture today is that what you should do is you should live and then save and then give what's left over. Live, save and then give what's left over. And Jesus came and he turned things totally upside down and a lot of people really got mad with him. And he said, no, no, you give, you save and you live off the rest. You give, you save, you live off the rest. Now, there is a Christian principle uh, to this whole concept that has been a concept since the beginning of Old Testament times and uh, Christianity continued to, to use it. And the concept is the concept of a tithe. And a tithe is simply a percentage of giving. It's where you choose ahead of time, before you get anything, you just choose ahead of time, I'm going to give a a percentage, and a tithe is 10% of what you would give. And uh, for many people, uh, this is a principle that people commit to. Uh, If you're a partner here at the JAR, you've committed to that, and you've said, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a tithing person. That's what uh, I want to do. I want to become an open-handed kind of person. Now, the problem with percentage giving is it's math, and... Math can be difficult. Like, I took pre-calculus in college. I took pre-calculus in high school, too. And I got an A in high school. And then I went to college. And all of a sudden, C+, plus, baby. You know, that was it. Because I'm not good. I wasn't as good as math as I thought. And we don't talk about math very much uh, in church. Uh, I don't know why we don't, but, you know, it's not one of those things we talk about. So, uh, I thought I would give us a little math lesson, okay? So, what I have here is 10 $1 bills. And basically, uh, this is the math. You could pick any number that you want, but we'll just say 10 for now, okay? It'll be easier for us to kind of manage. So, you have 10, and when you tithe, basically what it says is you just take 1, and you give it to God... And you say, God, I'm going to give that to you off the top to devote to your kingdom and to the things of your world that you're doing in the church. So I'm going to give that. Now, some of you kind of have a glazed look right now. Math's hard. I understand that. This is not a sleight of hands. I am not a Vegas shuffler, okay? So let me, let me try that again because some of you just glazed over that, okay? So you have ten... Of these, okay, you have ten. There's ten of these, and then you basically take one of these, and you say, "I'm going to give this to the things of God and His kingdom." That's the way percentage working, uh, percentage giving works. That's the way tithing works. You you give a percentage off top ahead of time before you get the ten. But once you get the ten, you say, "Already, I'm going to give one away." Now, I guess if you wanted to, you could go like this. You could say, God, you mean I still get to keep nine? You're only asking one. I get to keep nine of these? Well, if that's the case, maybe I would, well, maybe not. You know, maybe I'll just keep it. I don't know. But that's the way that tithing works. Now, this is the problem. As long as they're ten one-dollar bills, we have no problem giving away one. Like one, no big deal. That's a can of pop. I'll give that away. But all of a sudden, when these become tens or twenties or hundreds or thousands or even more, then all of a sudden, when we have to give that away, you know, it just... I like the ten, just the one dollar ten. That's the one that I like more so. Now, any questions on what I just showed here today? It's math. So I know math is hard for some of us. So just wanted to make sure we all kind of got that today. And so this really becomes the question, the big question for you and I. When it comes to our resources, our money, will we be a tight, closed-fisted person, or will we have an open hand? Now, some of you right now are like, isn't that like a question for you, the way you just worded that? Are you, well, Chris, why don't you ask, no, 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 (laughs) don't get away from that. This is for all of us, okay? All of us. Am I a clothes closed-fisted, or am I an open-hand person? And this is what I would challenge you, because some of you can be quite pious, is I wouldn't just all of a sudden rush right now and go, oh, no, 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 I'm open-handed. Even if you tithe, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, yeah, I'm open-handed. You know, for me, for instance, God's really been working on this in my life. The past 17 years of my life, uh, Jennifer and I, we have been tithers. In fact, after year one of tithing, God said, well, that's just the basic. You need to get more than that. And so financially, we've continued to increase our percentage by once through that process. We just continue to do that. That's what God's asked us to do. I'm not asking any of you to do it. That's what he asked us to do. And there are some times, you know, when I write the check and I put it in there and I'm like, man, I'm generous. Like, think about me. Look what I just gave. Woo. Way to go bunch. You know, a little pat on my own back there. And I think to myself, I'm an open handed person, but recently God's really been showing me that maybe I'm not as open handed as I thought. Several months ago, a woman came to the church for the very first time and, uh, I was out in the back, and she was getting ready to leave, and I could tell that she was new. I'd never seen her before, and so I walked up, introduced myself, welcomed her to the jar, and uh, she said, oh, I, I love the church. It was really, really good, and she said, well, um, let me tell you a little bit of my story, and I'm like, yeah, 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 go ahead, and she started telling me her story, and basically her husband had been uh, abusive towards her and had left her, And she was in Ohio with nowhere to go, and somehow she got placed here at the YWCA. And she had two children that she was trying to provide for, and she had nothing, nothing. She had no money, nothing. And she was very grateful to the YW, and she was grateful to the JAR. The way you guys loved on people and accepted people, that's why she kept coming back, and she felt so good about that. And on that very first time that I met her, during our conversation, somebody walked up to me and they kind of opened my hand. They gave me a $10 bill and they're like, hey, pastor, just, you know, thank you so much for what you do. Just thought you and the family could go out and get some ice cream. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So if any of you ever want to do that, I'm, I am open to it. You know? And uh, so I had the $10 bill in my hand and uh, all of a sudden I just felt this prompting in my spirit. Don't keep that to yourself. Give it to this woman. She needs it much more than you do. And so I got ready to try to give it to her, and she refused it initially. She wouldn't do it, but I'm pretty persistent. So like I grabbed her hand, I opened up her hand like this. I said, no, God just told me that you need to have this, and you need to take this. And so she did. And our conversation kind of ended. She walked away, and I came back into the gym and uh, helped with the teardown. And we finished teardown. We were getting ready to be done. I noticed this woman came back into the building. She's walking toward me. And uh She pulled out a $1 bill and she put it in my hand. And this is what she said. She said, I went to the store and I got change. I wanted to tithe and give God 10% because he has given me so much. And I'll tell you, when, when she put that dollar in my hand, I just got rocked. Because this woman had absolutely nothing. And she went to a store so she could get ten of them to come back and to give one dollar. And that encounter rocked my world. And I remember walking out those doors and I went to get into my vehicle. And when I walked out, the Spirit of God just kind of came And I was like, oh, God, I've got so much to learn of what it means to be an open-handed person. Would you help me to be more like that woman? You want to know what's happened to her life since then? She started going to celebrate recovery. If you have a hurt, habit, or hang-up, I don't know why you're sitting here or sitting anywhere on Thursday without being there because that's where you should be. You can get healthier. So she started going. Absolutely. And she started going, she started getting healthier. She got a job. She actually got her own apartment. Then she actually started to think about how I can reconcile with my husband. And uh, she's going to to Ball State now for some college classes. And I'd be, I be and I believe so strongly in this. That because she opened up her hands and she gave to God when she had little to nothing, that God honored her to open up his hand and to bless her in a great way. Because God fills open hands. One more story. There's a, uh, there's a, uh, a young couple in our church. And uh, they don't have a lot of money. And uh, they got married And then they went ahead and they got pregnant. They're getting ready to have a baby. And both of them work, but they don't make a ton of money. And so for a while, they were a part of our Operation Shop program. Operation Shop is where a person who has a little bit more in a month gives a little bit more, 15, 20 bucks to help with some groceries. And it helps somebody else out that might need a little bit more. And we do this once a month. And so this couple, they needed a little extra help, and so they would get a bag and kind of help them through. And they serve people. They have great hearts both inside and outside the church. It's part of their DNA. And during the wife's maternity leave, they knew no income would be coming in, so they didn't know how long all of this would transpire. But she had some co-workers that actually gave some of their paid time off to her, and they actually received more to a point where they were like, you know what? I think what we'll do is we won't take a bag this month. We'll actually start trying to put a bag together. And when Mikey kind of told me this story about this couple, I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. So I wanted to find out. So we talked to the wife and this is what she told us. Because I was like, why would you do this? I mean, you don't even have very much to begin with. Why would you do this? And this is what she said. God has opened his hand to me and provided for me in so many ways. And even though there are times when I'm not sure how we're going to have the $15 to do the operation shop bag at the end, God always comes through. Because I don't find my contentment in my money or in my stuff, but in what I give. I truly believe that you can't out give God. Again, folks, a story that just rocked my world. And I left from that, and I'm like, you know what? It really is best to be open handed. Because the essence of contentment is not giving into the myth of more, that if I just had more, but it's about giving it away, that I don't need more to be happy. But contentment is allowing you to open up your hand so that God can fill it. And as he fills your hand, then you allow the overflow to go to the people around you. So in light of this, this becomes the question. What do we do with this? How can we apply this to our lives? Well, for those of you who consider yourselves mature Christ followers or partners in the church, you should say, I'm going to tithe. Like, that's it. You should say, I'm going to be a percentage giver off the top, 10%. If that's not where you're at, that wasn't where I was at at one time. You pick a percentage, then you increase it by 1% until you get there. That was me. And for some of you, maybe you're giving 10%, but honestly, God might be asking you what he asked me to actually give more than that. Now, the reason I challenge all of our mature Christians and, and partners who are here is the challenge isn't, oh, you've got to give because if you don't, the church isn't going to make it. Folks, this is God's church. He supplies every one of our needs. He simply enjoys us being open-handed. And he says, if you're open-handed, I will fill you up. He's like a refilling God. And the blessing is... Of my life has come when I give and I get to see the impact of other people. Sometimes He fills up my hand with more finances. Sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's like sometimes you have a television preacher, you know, name it or claim it. You know what I mean? Just go ahead and say, God, I'm going to give this money and I'm going to guarantee that you're going to give me money back. Well, He might, but guess what? He might not. So you don't give it thinking you're going to get something back. You give it out of honoring him and his word. Sometimes, though, he does give stuff back. Sometimes he gives stories like these two women. Sometimes he allows you to watch changed lives. Now, this next challenge is for everyone here. Regardless of where you're at on the spiritual spectrum, this is for everybody. This means this is for you because you're everybody. And this is something that you can do tomorrow morning or you could do sometime this week. What I'd like you to do is to get your dollar back out again. Okay, you all got a dollar. Some of you are like, where'd my dollar go? You know what I mean? There you go. Get your dollar. And what I'd like you to do with this dollar this week is I'd like you to take an opportunity to actually give. Because this is what I found. We don't get better at being open-handed givers unless we're opening our hands. Does that make sense? Like, you can, if you don't do it, it may never happen. And so here's one of four things that you could do. First of all, you could buy a homeless person something off the dollar menu and sit down and have lunch with them. Second thing, put a dollar in a vending machine and walk away. Wouldn't that be cool? Second one, buy a gas station grocery store clerk their favorite candy bar. And don't go up there going, hey, I'm going to buy a candy bar. Go up to a person and say, what's your favorite candy bar? Twix. Oh, cool. Mine's Snickers. Then go find the Twix, not the Snickers. And then bring it back, buy it, and then give it to the person. Next thing. Find an item that is a dollar at the grocery store and put a dollar underneath it. Wouldn't that be cool? Or come up with something else in your head. And once you're done, we want to see some of these stories. Now, I'm, I don't understand Facebook world that much. I'm learning. I just got on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, so I'm learning that too. But I'm very far removed. But this is what they told me you should do. Go to our Facebook page at The Jar, and if you haven't liked us already, you should do that. Just search for the JAR Community Church, and at the comment uh, on the top of the post, it'll say, God fills open hands, and simply share your story. I'm going to do it. They're going to show me how to do it, but I'm going to do it, and uh, we're going to do this, okay? And could you imagine what kind of impact would happen in our community if the, the 300 adults or so who were here... Uh, Today in the first and second celebration, all of them went out and they did something with a dollar to have an open hand. Imagine what could happen if every partner, if every kind of mature Christ follower said, I'm going to tithe on what I have. I'm going to be off the top giving. What kind of impact could God do in our community? Imagine if we all just left and we said, we're not going to be tight-fisted. I'm going to be open-handed. What would happen to Muncie, Delaware County, all of East Central Indiana, if an army began out of the jar of saying, we won't be tight-fisted, we will be open-handed? So the question comes to you today. Which is it going to be? Are you going to be tight-fisted? Or are you going to be open-handed? I mean, I don't know about you, but... When people look at me, I really want them to see me as an open-handed person. I mean, when I get to the end of my life, I don't want my legacy to be. That Chris Bunch, he was a taker. That's what he was. He was a taker. He might have went to church, but he was a taker. No, I want him to say he was an open-handed giving person. You know, 2,000 years ago during Jesus' trial and then his death, there are a couple images as I was preparing for all this that kind of came to me. The first image was Jesus came and basically said, you know, sell your possessions, give it to the poor. And the religious people were not very happy with that. They weren't happy with that at all. And during his trial, when they said, what should I do? When Pilate, the the Roman... uh, emperor of Judea, when he said, what should I do with Jesus of Nazareth? Do you remember what they said? Crucify him. And you know, historically, when they would crucify, do you remember what the image of people would be? Tight fist. They would go, crucify him, crucify him. And a few hours later, Jesus gets to the cross Do you remember what his hands look like? Totally open. Open for the world. He opened his hands because of his immense amount of love that he had for the world. And even for people that sometimes have a closed tight fist like me, he opens up his hands. And he says, I love you. You're, you're welcome. Jesus loves you more than anything in this world. And if you were the only person on planet earth, he would have opened his hands in love just for you. So you have a challenge this week. Will you be close fisted or will you be open-hand? And then remember that God is. Fills open hands let's sing for closing prayer I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up uh, if you'd like prayer for anything uh, these folks would love to pray for you so come on up they'd love to pray uh, for you they'll be on each side uh, of the screens here and remember next week we're going to talk about sex baby And it's PG-13, okay? It really is going to be PG-13. So if you have a child that is under 13, I would strongly encourage... That's why we have jar kids. Let them go to jar kids. If they're in middle school, we're going to have something for our middle school students. If you're a parent and you're like, hey, I think they can get it, then go ahead. But this isn't going to be, you know, the birds and the bees. We're going to, like, talk about sex. So, that's on you. (laughs) And uh, I hope this week that the jar will truly be an army of people with open hands. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being the ultimate giver. Thank you for allowing... Jesus to open up his hands, to go to a cross for our mistakes and our mess ups, all of the sin in our life so that we could be set free and have new life. And maybe today, God, there are some people who are here who have just had some closed fists towards you. They haven't had an open hand, but when they kind of thought about Jesus having an open hand just for them, they're like, man, I I want to give that a chance. And so if there's anyone here today who has not made that commitment to say, Jesus, I want to begin a relationship with you, I just invite you to repeat this prayer silently to yourself, but you can repeat it after me. Jesus, thank you for opening your hands on the cross. I now receive you into my life. Forgive me for the sins that I know. And thank you for making them clean. I now receive your Holy Spirit into my life. I want to live as an open handed person. And God, for all of us here today, We need you to open our eyes and remind us that an open hand is more powerful than a closed fist. And when we are tempted to close our hands and make fists, to hold on tightly to the resources you've given us, help us to remember that God fills open hands, not closed fists. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.